0: Yes, th- thank you. So I, I just wanted to remind that uh, we started this project uh, in July last year, which coincided with the 10th anniversary of the Florence School of Regulation. It is it is our first attempt to, uh, as a Florence school, all the areas together to do a systematic assessment of the achievements of the second Barossa Commission and then look into the challenges ahead for the upcoming uh, Juncker Commission. Uh, Several academics have participated, helping us put this together, but the four areas directors here present, you know, have written their respective chapters on energy, communications and media, transport and water. Each chapter is structured in the same way, uh, in that we, we make an assessment of the past, we look at the past and then we look into the future. From here, each of the directors will briefly present um, his, uh, his uh, area and the challenges, the achievements and the challenges. Uh, so, I'm happy to give the floor to Jean-Michel Blachon for energy.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, I'm particularly happy being there because I do think that the two Barroso's commissions did a tremendous work. Roughly, these two Barroso's Commissions did start and and make work the first extensive Europeanization of energy markets for power and gas, and also the first extensive Europeanization of infrastructures for power and gas. And this, both for the operation of the existing infrastructures, but also for the planning and the investment into new infrastructures. So, I should be very happy. I am. No, no, no. But why? Because the two Barroso's commissions did achieve, did end the goal open in 1986, creating a single market, creating an internal market, but it's not enough, and. As you are going to see, it's five times not enough. First, even for power, the internal market we did create was an internal or is an internal market for fossil fuel, but the leading energy today for power is renewable. Renewable energy has a different location, that's fossil fuel, and a different controllability, most of them are intermittent, and therefore they question very hardly the existing infrastructures. Renewables call for a new type of extensive Europeanization of grids and even for a new planning of the grids. Second, gas. Are we happy with the internal market and the, inter- the way the infrastructure works for the internal market? Not. Why? The U.S. did open a very big gas price shock at the world level. Plus, let's say Russia is creating a threat of big volume shock on gas supply. Of course, the European Union can rearrange its portfolio of external gas supply. There is plenty of gas everywhere. But to make work a new portfolio of gas, we also need a new infrastructure new operation and new planning of infrastructures. The way the gas flow from Siberia is not the same as the gas from Mozambique or Lebanon. On the top, we also need more internal solidarity and reverse flows inside EU, so many changes. Third, climate change. There are various ways of capping greenhouse gas emissions. We can greening the supply with renewable. We can substitute a smaller polluter as gas to bigger polluter as coal or lignite. We can substitute nuclear risks to greenhouse gas risks. We can reduce consumption of energy by increasing energy efficiency. But all these four ways are very different and produce very different energy systems and therefore call for very different energy infrastructures. Then, a new concern. Fourth point, governance. Could the European Commission put enough coherence between 28 independent paths opened by the last Council in October 2014 toward 2030, I doubt, because the European Commission is good with internal market tools, is good with competition policy tools, but now, with the new decision of the European Council, is very poor regarding renewable uh, energy consistency, energy sustainability. Could new European bodies substitute to European Commission? Could regional bodies substitute to European Commission? We will see, it's not obvious. End to end, external energy affairs. I'm sorry, all external borders of our internal markets, gas and power, are only national. When Spain deals with Morocco for power, it is Spain, it is not the EU. When Bulgaria or Greece deal with Turkey for gas, they deal for that country. Therefore, the EU still has to Europeanize all its external borders, plus to Europeanize the integration of an internal market with the markets of our allies, Switzerland, Norway, Ukraine, Moldavia. The list of things to do is incredibly vast, very demanding. Good luck, Juncker. And associates. That's my <laughs> point, and I leave the floor to the next. Thank you, Commissioner.
0: Um, hello, Pierrici.
2: Yes. Uh, well, I will talk about the uh, uh, electronic communication and media situation. We arrive. <coughs> from a process of 25 years of liberalization and privatization that was highly successful in the interest of e- European citizens and consumers. This process has enabled and, and was enabled and accompanied by the creation of one of the most advanced and sophisticated regulatory systems in the world. This regulation was thought from a start, however, to be transitory, uh, needed until full competition would apply to the market. This promise has been partially maintained. If you remember, in 2002, there were 18 ex-regulated markets, and now we are down to, four, to five. And in this process, we were able also to create an harmonized regulatory culture, now in 28 European countries, and the coordination body, BEREC, that is highly independent, competent, competent, and respected. Today, however, it's clear that we are under the pressure of new challenges at least two important very difficult challenges the first is the internet revolution it is a great occasion great change, but is changing our sectors in a very radical way and when need of major investment also also because of the internet revolution to substitute the legacy monopolistic networks with the future proof next generation networks internet and investment are the challenges that we are facing today These challenges happen in the midst of tension and conflicts. The most important, and certainly one of the most important, but certainly the most vocal is the conflict between over-the-top companies, normally from uh, uh, the US and telecom companies from uh, uh, the European countries or the national telecom companies that are the network providers. This is a conflict of business model, And there is clearly a pressure on traditional business equilibrium of the telecoms. This conflict is important and has created a lot of uh, tensions. It's not easy to understand how we can get out of this conflict. But uh, uh, we think that uh, the answer is in opening a debate and trying to understand what is really happening in the market and how regulation can help in solve some of these problems, even if this are not, not all, all problems that can be solved only by regulation. Uh, we uh, are thinking that uh, what we are proposing is simply to open a debate and to propose some lines of reflection. One of the lines of reflection depends, depends is on this issue of investment. We think that we have to consider the possibility to have more reliance on public and private and public partnership for new network investment. A strong consideration of the risk issues and the ability to uh, understand that there is a complementarity. Networks are important for content providers, but the networks are also a business occasion. Uh, for regulation and uh, this uh, uh, idea that there is not a level playing field regulation, we think that the, the way forward is to consider that ex-ante regulation is a transitory idea. that should be always reconsidered and remeasured uh, for its necessity. And also probably in terms of uh, uh, what is competition regulation in terms of mergers, that is the sort of ex-ante regulation, sometimes we have to think, uh, and we have to ask ourselves, is if we are really aiming to a European market, to a single market, if some cross-border mergers could help in consolidating the European industries. But this always and only if we are able to maintain workable competition in all the markets. Then we have the question of uh, fundamental rights. It's clear that the internet is creating, and the digital world is creating a situation in which there is a new pressure on some fundamental rights, pluralism, privacy, copyright, more in general, the fiscal sovereignty is under pressure. On these rights, we need to think what we can be a new equilibrium, and we need to search for uh, a better regulation, I mean, based on the principle of regulation only when needed to help to maintain and defend this right. Then we need uh, to search for an equilibrium of fiscal sovereignty, and i think that in the end we could look back to where we started and think again competition principle has helped us a lot we have to rely again on competition principle i think that we should be based on a smart quick negotiate application of competition principle and probably in this moment of passage could be a good idea institutionally to create again a task force for regulation and competition like we did in 2002 to face these new problems and to think about these new problems. The Florida School of Regulation is here to try to help. The floor to Matthias Finkel
0: thank you. you. So I I talk about uh, the transport area, and you know, as you remember, the the big, the big challenge, the big goal of the European, of the Barroso Commission, was with the white paper of 2011 to create a single European transport area, the completion of the internal market in all the transport modes for goods and for services, and and the Commission has achieved a lot, but it pursued that transport mode by transport mode. So, you know, we we have, uh, and and in this area, we also include, uh, we also include postal services. So the postal services have been totally liberalized in 2011, 2013 in other countries. Uh, In the railway, you know, progress has been made, several packages. We are now discussing uh, the fourth railway package in uh, in the council in air transport uh, liberalization has a, a lot of liberalization has already happened but uh, some challenges remain so so i i, I think overall looking back uh, the commission has has done a lot of work transport mode by transport mode and pushing single transport areas in the different in the different sectors but there are i think uh, in each of the sector if we, and and uh, and the chapter in the manifesto is structured in that way in each of the sectors, there are uh big challenges and i 'm not just going uh it 's easy uh, you 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 can read it in the document, but for i would say in railway the may if we stay just in the railway mode, the main challenge will be uh the intermodal level playing field the rail against other transport modes so as to be. Otherwise, a simple liberalization of rail in itself will not be successful. In air, I think the big challenge today is the completion of the single European sky, which has run into some gridlock and really needs some new ideas uh, to move ahead. On urban public transport, I think the big challenge really is the greening of urban mobility. and 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 uh you know uh developing urban mobility but in a green way uh on multi, uh, on on waterborne uh, transport the big challenge today i think is really uh the multimodal transport hubs the whole transportering uh, and how that is regulated uh linking with rail linking with road and and finally on the postal side i think the big challenge today is the redefinition of the universal service, Uh, the way the universal service obligation is today defined, uh, you know, stems from the last century to the least and needs to be adapted to uh, the electronic area. Uh, So that's the way uh, the the chapter is structured, but there are also uh, cross-modal challenges and uh, the, the five main challenges for all the modes are of course the elimination of barriers between the states and between the modes, uh, between road, between rail, between air, and, and that, that I think is the major challenge. There are still many market distortions, and competition in these infrastructures, in the transport infrastructures, is still not optimal. Uh, <clears throat> then a big challenge is the whole introduction of the information and communication technologies, and I'll come back to that uh, r- right after. Uh, We have already heard from energy, but decarbonization and environmental sustainability is also, of course, a big challenge for transport because much of it is still uh, fossil fuel-based. And then there are also social sustainability issues, especially in the postal sector, in the railway sector, and in air traffic control. If we we look ahead... uh, (coughs) Um, I think that there are sort of two main challenges that will become really important uh, for the Juncker Commission Uh, and they have to do for all the transport modes and they have to do with the pervasive role of the information and communication technologies. Uh, Maybe the first one could be labeled something like digitalization of transport Uh, whereby uh, you can, thanks to the information and communication technology, you can rearrange mobility across the transport modes. And I think this this digitalization of transport, integrated ticketing, integrated timetable, all this, I think this will become one of the very big challenges across Europe. Going even further here, I, beyond that, I think, uh, and building on, on digital transport, I think the big challenge will be what what we now call them, the, the mobility as a service, in the same way as energy is becoming a service, as telecommunication is becoming a service. Increasingly, uh, I think the Commission should look at how transport, integrated transport, can be considered a service and how to facilitate that by some sort of regulatory framework. Uh, I think those are things that the Commission could easily embrace, Uh, they require some thinking and uh, you know the Florence School Transport Area is here to participate (laughs) in these discussions and this thinking. So I'm happy to give the floor now to Stéphane Saussier for the water sector.
3: Thank you Matthias. So the question I have to address is which water policy for the new European Commission? In five minutes, no more, so this is quite challenging. So <laughs> maybe, maybe I should start by saying that the European water policy is quite young compared to other sectors, and we can say it basically start with the Water Framework Directive in 2000. The primary aim of this directive was to achieve good ecological status of waters in Europe by the end of 2050. And we are not very far from these deadlines, but we are quite far from the targets. And as it is written in the manifesto, there is a kind of water divide in Europe, with countries showing good ecological status of their waters, with a high proportion of the population connected to the urban wastewater treatment, and other countries that are far behind. So this is not a starting point. Now, in addition of ecological issues, what are the main challenges ahead? For the European Commission but also more broadly for water services in Europe. So without trying to be exhaustive, there is, there is quite a lot more in the manifesto, I would like to stress three challenges. First, we've got an investment challenge. There are a huge needs for investment in many European countries just to maintain the quality of services but also to reach environmental targets. This is not true for every European country but still this is true for many of them and, and just one example a French study stated that the average rate of network replacement in France leads to a full replacement every 160 years. So knowing that the right duration of water networks infrastructures is around 50 years, more investments are needed for sure. And again, France is more the rule than the exception at the European level. A second challenge, from my point of view, is the competition challenge. Water is a scarce resource and we need to secure efficient uses and protection of these resources at the lowest price for consumers. So one way to increase that, to increase efficiency is to foster competition and to allow for public-private cooperation in providing water services when it is efficient to do so. But this is not a free lunch. We are talking about local natural monopolies, Firstly, to organize competition for the market, knowing that competition on the market is impossible. The concession directive that that was voted in early 2000 is a good step toward a more structured competition in the provision of public services. However, the exclusion of water from this directive is, from our point of view, a missed opportunity, and it presents one immediate task for the Commission. Indeed, the Commission will have to produce a report within five years to assess the effects of water exemption, identifying the costs and benefits which may have resulted. This means that the Commission will have a key role in informing the political and economic debate. And this role will be crucial in a context where citizens are more and more demanding concerning information on water. And this is, from my point of view, a third challenge. A third challenge is a transparency challenge. Citizens are asking for that. The last Eurobarometer on water concluded that fewer than four out of ten respondents feel well or very well informed about water issues in their country. In addition to that, the Right to Water European Citizens Initiative that collected more than 1.8 million citizens' signatures is another illustration of the citizens' demand for more information. Until now, the answer of the Commission is that there is a need for more transparency and benchmarking, but how do we reach that? It is not clear, and it probably means more regulation by the end of the day. So, to conclude, I would like to say that, as you know, there is a great variety between water services within Europe concerning the quality and abundance of raw waters, the need for investment, the degree of fragmentation of water services. For example, in France, we've got more than 30,000 water services. In the UK, less than 35. In Italy, around 100. So we've got a great variety between European countries also concerning the degree of vertical integration between services, the fragmentation of responsibilities, the existence of a national regulation agency or not, the diversity of organizational arrangements and their frequency and so on. All this differ a lot from one country to another and we believe that the Commission should be committed more explicitly not only to provide data and information on all those dimensions but also to support benchmarking initiatives between water services in Europe. So my point is that we need more transparency, more data to have a clearer view of what are the best way to regulate water services, taking into account each country's particularities. This is very complicated, but but also this is very exciting. And that's exactly what we are trying to do at the Florence School of Regulation. All those avenues for the Commission and many more are discussed more extensively in the Ferencico regulation Manifesto, in the water part, of course, and, and you can have a look at it. So thanks for listening.
0: Yeah, thank you. i just make one minute of conclusion. Thank you all for contributing. I think the manifesto offers a fair account of the achievements of the second Barossa Commission. It offers a realistic outlook into the challenges into the future. Uh, I, I <clears throat> I think we have we have shown sector by sector these four areas of the Florence school what 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 needs to be done what has been done and what needs to be done but just as a last thought, there are some underlying issues that really concern all of the areas, all of the Florence areas. And that has to do, I, maybe the, the catchword today is the word smart. But in all the areas, we now have smart energy. We have uh, smart transport. We have smart communications, smart, even smart water. We hear, you know, it's, 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 it's really collecting data, storing data, manipulating data, packaging data data, and I wonder whether there is not some sort of new data infrastructure emerging that is underlying everything, and, and that somehow needs to be regulated at the European level or looked at at the European level, um, and maybe that's the the big cross-sectoral future challenge, the new cross-sectoral data infrastructure uh, For Europe, I think Luigi Parco alluded a little bit to that. Also, uh, some communication issue. So these are just a few things that we have presented here on the manifesto. We invite you to read the the manifesto that is available on our website, to contact us, to comment on it, and we are looking forward to receiving your your feedback and you know to discussing uh, with you in the future. Thank you all. Uh, Thank you very much, Matthias. And thank you to uh, our directors and to all of you.